Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives. I'm Chris Cheney, and I'm the Senior Clinical Care Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, we will explore the partnership between the Dr. Lorna, Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation and Envision Healthcare. Today's guests are Stephanie Simmons, Vice President of Patient and Clinical Engagement for Envision Healthcare and Chief Medical Officer for the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation, Jim Recton, President and CEO of Envision Healthcare, and Corey Feist, co-founder of the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation. This podcast is sponsored by Envision Healthcare. Stephanie, Jim, and Corey, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us, Chris. Let's get into our discussion. Tell us about the origins of the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation. Thanks so much. This is Corey Feist. I'm the president and co-founder, as you said, of the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation. And I started my career as, a, as an attorney for healthcare systems and then moved into a business role uh, running the medical group for all of the physicians and advanced practice professionals at the University of Virginia. Uh, the namesake of our foundation is Dr. Lorna Breen. She was an emergency medicine physician in New York City, uh, working for New York Presbyterian's Allen Hospital, and was the medical director of their emergency department. Uh, Lorna was a double-boarded internal medicine, emergency medicine physician who lived her life's dream, uh, or her, was fulfilling her life's dream as an emergency medicine physician in New York, uh, in New York City. Uh, she was also my sister-in-law, and Lorna uh, was a very active and vibrant um, person. Uh, we called her the crazy aunt to eight nieces and nephews, and uh, found herself uh, contracting COVID in mid-March of 2020, and then returning to the workforce too soon to be overwhelmed by what she had seen, uh, what she had seen as a very seasoned physician who'd been through lots and lots before, but because of her COVID experience as an individual and uh, likely what that was doing to just her body to deteriorate it, she did not look out for herself and was unable to look out for herself because she put her patients first like so many healthcare workers do uh, to a point that she pushed herself uh, to a breaking point and needed emergent mental health treatment, which we obtained for her. And after she obtained that mental health treatment, she talked about now that she'd obtained it, her concerns about loss of license. And sadly for the family um, and for the whole healthcare community, we lost Lorna to suicide on April 26, 2020. And the family uh, did not want to speak of it, but, but it was, um, the, the news broke. And what was even more surprising to us than her death was the response to her death by the healthcare community, which reached out to us every single day repeatedly for days and days and days, and all were expressing concerns around the environment, um, the culture, the operations. Uh, and remember, this was early days in the pandemic, so they really weren't speaking to the impact of the pandemic at that time. They were speaking to a pre-pandemic condition of high degrees of burnout and these barriers to mental health access to the extent that they ever might need it. And so that catalyzed the work of the foundation, uh, which was created in the summer of 2020 named after Lorna. Our two goals for the foundation are to 
decrease any barriers that exist for mental health care that apply uniquely to healthcare workers, as well as to scale solutions to improve the well-being of the workforce. Uh, we were really fortunate to have met uh, Steph Simmons, who's here with us today, who uh, shortly after we met, we invited to be one of our inaugural board members. And now uh, through this partnership with Envision, she is serving in this capacity as chief medical officer, where we are working to scale the work, not only across Envision, the hospitals in which the Envision physicians and clinicians practice, but also across the country to improve well-being and remove, well, remove barriers to mental health access for the healthcare workforce. Excellent. Stephanie, how did you get involved in the foundation? Thanks, Chris. So I'm an emergency medicine physician and practiced in a variety of urban and rural settings over 15 years. And throughout my clinical career, I also had a research and leadership interest in clinician professional well-being. And what that means is the factors that really help clinicians focus on patient care, doing the thing we've trained to do, that we love to do, which is caring for patients in front of us. And there's a, there's a few things um, that can sometimes get in the way, right? Um, personal, mental health um, issues, burnout, inefficient operational systems, or lack of the ability to, to feel like you're having an impact on your environment can all degrade the clinician's opportunity to to really focus on and excel in patient care. And so I'd been doing that work at Envision and uh, in uh, the early months of 2020, we were on the verge of launching a wellness champion program and had an ambitious in-person training schedule planned across the country. We got through the first one of those trainings and all of a sudden the world changed in the early uh, months of the pandemic. and. You know, clearly we weren't going to be doing those in-person trainings anymore, so we had to pivot and think about how we were going to uh, support our clinical workforce who are now on the front lines of a global pandemic, and we did. So we launched uh, peer support programs, provided emergency training to all of our clinician support teammates who were dealing with um, and interacting with our frontline workers on how to support people in a emergency situation, added additional mental health resources, mental health uh, and burnout self-assessments and, and guides uh, to sort of our armamentarium of how to support our, our healthcare workforce. Uh, one, of, one of those programs is a, a coaching program with physician coaches to support their colleagues. And, and one of my physician coaches was getting his MBA because being a regional medical director and, and running a department, working as a clinician himself and, and coaching wasn't enough. He, he also needed to, <laughs> you know, to go back to school. And uh, he's, he's a, a, a wonderful person. He heard Corey speak and, uh, and called me up and said, Steph, you know, this guy's talking about the same things you talk about. He's talking about him in the same way. You should really have a conversation. So, um, I, I, I cold called Mr. Corey Winston and uh, said, hey, you know, I'd love to talk to you about how I can be of service and how I can help you with what you're doing. And it was in that summer that, you know, the, the Dr. Lorna Breen Provider Protection Act uh, was starting to be uh, talked about, launched, floated in 
and the, the government and, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do was make sure that, that with the reach of our clinicians that we were able to have the voice of our clinicians shine through in support of funding um, for research and programs in clinician mental health and, and support. And so, you know, I, I started to work uh, with the foundation and envision on that effort and um, was thrilled uh, to become a board member and continue to uh, lend my voice and experience and expertise in that fashion. That act became law just over a year ago, um, and it was the first ever uh, federal law supporting the healthcare workforce uh, in, with regards to their mental health. So that's a, it's a remarkable achievement to be able to pass a law in under uh, two years in a bicameral, bipartisan way. And uh, just really excited to now be able to continue the education advocacy um, on behalf of healthcare workers and also start to advance some, some solutions, both, both within states and hospitals and health systems, but also in large national medical groups. Great. Jim, why did Envision partner with the foundation? Yeah, Chris, uh, this is Jim Rechton, CEO and president, president and CEO of Envision. So we've got, we impact the lives of about 25,000 clinicians. We have 15,000 who are directly employed by Envision. We have about another 10,000 who work either part-time or partner with us in various ways. And, and so when we look at this issue, you know, number one, there's a clear need. There's a, a, a clear demand for help. Second, you know, our clinical team is engaged. They're wanting to support and they're demanding assistance uh, in this area. Third, we have an ability to impact it. So there's a need and we have the, the ability to impact it by partnering with the Dr. Lorna Breen Foundation. And fourth, I would just you know, tell you, we have at some level an obligation to do this. And so if you go back, you know, what is the need? Uh, we had a shortage of clinicians prior to the pandemic. The pandemic has put even greater stress on that workforce than what existed before. And there was already plenty of stress on that workforce before. And that stress is leading to greater attrition. And as we have greater attrition, we have greater shortage. And as we have greater shortage, it compounds the stress on everybody else. And somewhere you have to break that cycle of stress on our teams. The clinical teams, you know, from our frontline practicing clinicians are voicing that they need help. And we have leaders like Steph who are saying, I want to help and I want to be engaged. And the Dr. Lorna Breen Foundation is a way to do that. And when you look at the ability to, to impact you know, this issue within our clinical workforce nationally, you know, a lot of what can be done is on the ground assistance and changing, you know, the way that we do things in hospitals, the way that we organize our licensure requirements, the way that we support our clinicians on the ground day to day. And we have the workforce is capable of doing that. And so there's just a lot of ways that we, we can be a natural partner to, to what uh, Corey and the Dr. Lorna Breen Foundation are trying to do. And, you know, look, the last thing I would just say is there is in a lot of ways, you know, kind of a ethical or value values based obligation to be supporting our teams. 
uh, without those teams, we can't deliver the care that this organization really exists for. And uh, from a practical standpoint, we have no business if we can't recruit and retain our doctors and our APPs who deliver care every day. And so whether you want to look at it through a values lens or you want to look at it through a practical business lens, this is something we need to do. And, uh, and Corey has been wonderful in giving us the opportunity to, to do that. Excellent. What is needed to improve professional well-being in the healthcare workforce? And Corey, why don't you start us off? Sure, thanks. And, and Jim, thanks so much for your kind words. And Steph, it's been amazing. Uh, your partnership has been amazing and your impact has been felt not only within our organization, but also across the country already. What needs to happen is first and foremost, organizations need to understand and organizational leaders need to understand what roles they play in, um, in addressing the issues. And one of the things that we've learned doing this work is that there's a pretty big gap right now between what leaders understand are the issues and what the frontline workforce um, is saying. So, so one is a common understanding. And one of the ways that, that, we, that we describe it and then bifurcate it is to understand that under this complex this complexity that is well-being, you have operational issues and you have individual you know, support issues. And, and in the middle between those two things, you have the role of leadership and the role of culture. And so when we think about the operational issues that come to play, what we're really talking about as the administrative burden and the other th barriers that exist that stand between healthcare professionals and their patients. On the individual side, we talk about things like the need for peer support, as well as the need to remove barriers to mental health access that uniquely apply to healthcare professionals that come in the form of overly invasive questions that appear on licensing applications and credentialing applications. And as well on the individual support component, I'll, I'll bring that back to culture. We need to make sure that we're driving towards a culture in healthcare where individuals are looking out for each other and themselves, um, you know, kind of thinking about that oxygen mask principle that everyone know, learns about when they take an airplane ride. So, so that in a very rough sense is, is the roadmap. And, and I would just say that this goes well beyond the healthcare leadership. It then transcends to everyone across kind of different domains of, that touch healthcare, whether those be policymakers or patients or healthcare professionals themselves, understanding their role and contributing and developing this new environment where the workforce can thrive and therefore take the best care of patients, which is what they've trained for and what everyone wants. So that's, that's my rough outline, and I'd love to hear from others um, about their thoughts on that question too. Yeah, Stephanie, why don't you jump in? Sure, thank you. I, I agree with everything. Corey has just said, and I want to pick up on, I want to pick a thread of something that, that Jim mentioned in his response, which was about the licensing and credentialing, because I think this is an issue that that's really opaque to a lot of people unless they've uh, practiced medicine and gone through the process. So as a physician, if, if I'm going to practice medicine, um, either as a new grad or, or starting a new job, first I need my state license and um, and when I apply for that state medical license, I'm going to be asked questions 
in 29 out of 50 states that ask me about any history that I might have of any mental health care or diagnosis. And then when I go and I, I, I get my credentialing application at the hospital or health system I'm going to work at, I'll have to answer uh, credentialing questions in, in many hospitals and health systems that ask those same questions. Not questions about whether I'm currently impaired of the practice of medicine or whether I've taken care of myself and am, am treated for any mental health conditions that I might have, but, but invasive questions about the history of any mental health care or diagnosis that I've had. We don't ask the same question about physical health care. And uh, this has a stigmatizing effect of mental health care in the healthcare workforce and also serves as a, a structural institutional barrier to care for clinicians. And, and what I'd like people to know is that the incidence you know, of, of mental health concerns in the physician and clinician workforce includes nurses and other licensed healthcare workers, it doesn't go down because these questions are asked, but it does go untreated because these questions are asked. And so the very first step I would encourage any healthcare leader to take is, is to look at their own credentialing questions. And if you're a state level leader, to look at your licensing questions and, and ask yourself if you're, if you're asking these questions in such a way that stigmatize or impede uh, healthcare workers from getting the care they may need. Because all of the other individual resources that are out there, they may not be taken advantage of if people are afraid that their jobs and their licenses are at risk if they do. And what we've heard from healthcare leaders is that when the individual resources aren't used, they feel like, um, you know, hey, what we've built hasn't been used. So um, there may, you know, people don't want this resource or they might not need it. When in fact, there's just, there's some additional steps that need to be taken so that people can really benefit. Corey mentioned the personal and then operational resources and you know you can take the girl out of the ER but you can't take the ER out of the girl so when I think of this problem I think of the, the healthcare workforce as a, a wounded patient in front of me right with a with a, with bleeding and uh, those individual resources are really holding pressure on that bleeding wound to stop some of the immediate damage on that individual but if you don't address the source of the bleeding which is the operational inefficiencies and the systemic barriers to receiving care, you're going to lose the patient anyway. And that patient is our healthcare workforce that underpins all healthcare that occurs in this country. And none of us can afford for that to happen because we all can be a patient tomorrow. And so, you know, I, we really need to focus on the operational parts of, of how healthcare works and the, the barriers to care for our clinic, clinical workforce. Jim, anything to add? Yeah, I would just, first of all, I'd reinforce everything that Corey and staff just said. And I would go back to, you know, we, we are in a cycle that is not good right now. And that cycle is one where we are inadvertently creating an environment with, you know, often within hospitals, that is highly stressful and creates unnecessary strain. We then have a stigma around mental health issues that makes it hard to talk about that strain and that stress. 
because we don't talk about it, it doesn't get addressed. And it leads to too many of our clinicians choosing to leave the workforce, which simply exacerbates or furthers the strain on everybody else. So we need to destigmatize. We need to provide better resources for those who are, you know, wrestling with you know, mental health challenges. We also need to address the things that create the stress and strain in the first place. We need to understand how our staffing decisions impacts the strain on our clinicians. We need to understand what another demand for call time, what that does to our teams. We need to understand that when we're running an inefficient OR or ER, how does that actually impact our teams and what can we do to change that? So there are a lot of things that we can, and nobody chooses to make, create strain and stress deliberately, obviously, uh, but there are lots of things that are done unintentionally or have unintentional consequences that can be reasonably easily fixed, but we need to be able to talk openly about the strain and the stress and the root cause and then get committed to fixing it. Stephanie, Jim, and Corey, it's been wonderful talking with all of you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast.